Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable in your sight. Amen. The problem with um, organising a theme for the service and a title for the sermon on Monday is that by the time you get to Friday and Saturday, things have changed. So, cry for climate justice is important. It was the Pacific Council of Churches who spoke at the COP over in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago and said, one of their members, we are climate warriors. The storms that have lashed the Pacific in the last few years have been getting more and more ferocious. Some of you have family there, you know this. We see it on our TV screens. So there is a cry for climate justice. There is a cry for hope. And what the PCC have done in Fiji with starting the garden and starting the farm has had an effect across the Pacific. Seeds from the garden that they harvested at, at harvest time were saved, and not only did they replant, they actually sent seeds to Tonga and Vanuatu, where similar initiatives are being undertaken to help the vulnerable members of their society. So Love the Stranger is an action call, and it's about hope. So my 16-year-old was quite emphatic, hope is not a verb, Mum. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> Hope is a candle once lit by the prophets, never consumed though it burns through the years, dim in the daylight of power and privilege. When they are gone, hope will shine on. So Richard Leach has written in his hymn for lighting the Advent candle, which is found in church hymnry number four, Judith. So Jesus says... This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. I will now take this off. So let me take you back. Approximately 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, so not quite 2,000 years, but we're nearly there. It's AD 58. Those who came to believe in Jesus nearly a generation ago, oh, who witnessed what went on, someone's good, they're washing their hands. Many are still there, older perhaps and more puzzled, but still in Jerusalem, waiting, hoping and praying. Things haven't been easy on and off. Pontius Pilate's been replaced by many replacements including one of their own, Agrippa, Herod's grandson, although that didn't last. And the string of Roman governors who followed Agrippa, the next one was worse than the last, or so it seemed. And during this time, emperors had come and gone. There was the kerfuffle when Gaius had planned to place a huge statue of himself in the temple. He died soon after. God's judgment, some said. And when Nero became emperor a few years before the present time, 58 AD, many people hoped again that peace and justice would finally prevail. And yet in Jerusalem, 
people were aware through these years of the gradual build-up of political tensions. Freedom fighters, revolutionaries rose up. They had their moment of glory and then were brutally crushed by the occupiers. Some wanted to make peace with the Roman rulers. Others wanted to drive a hard bargain. Still others wanted the Messiah to jolly well hurry up, come back and sort it all out. Please. Yet daily life went on. Crops were sown, harvested and sold. Woodwork, leatherwork, pottery and tools were produced and sold in the markets. Herds were tended. After 70 years of a massive rebuilding program, the temple was almost complete. Maybe we shouldn't complain about how long it's taking the town hall to be fixed. In the daily round of sacrifices of music and seasonal feasts that provided a continuous backdrop in the temple precincts to the daily life of the people continued. And in the middle of all of this, those who believed Jesus was the Messiah had continued to meet, break bread and worship in his name to tell the stories of what he had done and said. And yet they were pulled this way and that. Some of them were friends of Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, who had, some say, caused a riot in Jerusalem and was now in Rome awaiting trial. He definitely wouldn't be back. Peter had set out on his travels and hadn't been seen for years. And the leader of the Jerusalem Christians was James, described as wise and devout, the brother of Jesus himself. And yet James was getting older, and his prayers for the liberation and redemption of his peoples did not seem to be answered. The Jerusalem Christians were weary. If the gospel was producing fantastic results, it was elsewhere. And they only heard about it once in a while, and to be honest, didn't always like what they heard. Gentiles claiming to worship Jesus, but not keeping the law of Moses. Their lives seemed drag on day after day, with friends asking when this Messiah of theirs was going to return. And could he please hurry up and sort these Romans out? It was hard to keep hope. Not much use to say that when you meet for worship, sometimes the sense of Jesus' presence and love was so real you could almost reach out and touch him. Or to answer that you were told to be patient. And 30 years is a long time to be patient. All you could do was retell the stories, including the sayings of Jesus, such as the ones recorded by Luke. All you could do, Jerusalem Christians, was to hang on, have hope, be alert, prop your eyes open physically and spiritually, pray for strength to meet whatever comes, because the Son of Man would be vindicated and you want to be ready. But how do you do that when the world you know seems in such confusion and distress? Sound familiar? Luke uses colourful imagery. There's heavenly disruptions. 
look at the words, take them in, think about what he's saying. There are natural disasters. Think of Westland again this weekend, battered by storm and rain. Armies are laying siege to Jerusalem. Well, the Romans weren't going anywhere in a hurry. And the nations of the world seemed in turmoil. How do we understand such language? Well, for a start, don't use it as a justification for the modern state of Israel, which is both futile, misleading, and dishonours the text. That's a separate issue. And nor am I saying the state of Israel shouldn't exist. The people have a right to peace. I do wish they'd hurry up and sort it out. But that's not what this text is about. Alongside Luke's images of chaos and confusion, hear and read the words of redemption and hope. And don't abandon this colourful language Luke uses simply because you think it's hard to understand and replace what he says with just simple generalities. Start with Luke's images of horror and hope and work out from there. Because we need to relearn how to understand this picture language of Luke's time. Now, we all know changes can swiftly creep through large systems. Whether they are political, whether they are national, whether they are global, whether they are about health, climate or education. Changes sweep through with unpredictable consequences. A slight small example might be this week's um, kerfuffle in the National Party. A bigger example from my lifetime and yours is the coming down of the Berlin Wall. And an even bigger example is the inexorable creep of climate change and what it is doing to communities around the world, including here in our own country. Luke like Mark does in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, stands in a tradition that knows about horror and disruption in his present. For goodness sake, there's a gallows outside Jerusalem where crosses were regularly put up to punish those who'd broken Roman law. It was in your face. There were stories of people kicked off their land of armies having gone through in Israel's past and laid waste. So they knew about poverty, they knew about famine and starvation, and yes, they knew about disease. They didn't have vaccines. So Luke's images of horror and disruption invite us to identify the reality they mirror in our own past, and to look to our future. Because his overdrawn hyperbolic imagery does match the reality of people today and invites us to stand alongside them. There will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars and on the earth distress among nations caused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. Someone knows about tsunamis. And people will faint from fear. We know fear of what is happening in their lives causes people to faint, literally, to become catatonic and unable to do anything. 
So be alert and be watchful. Think of the homeless in our city. Think of those whose livelihoods have disappeared as a result of the effects of the pandemic. Think of those whose lives are shattered and are still disrupted by earthquakes. Think of extreme weather events causing flooding, fires and deadly heat waves, not to mention crop failures and starvation. These are the horrors and disruption of our own time. But, but, hope is never entirely consumed. Now a sense of possible disruption and danger of global proportions is not to be dismissed or denied. And we know this reality because we've been living with one particular disruption and danger of global proportions since early 2020. And in the last few days, we've been told the blasted virus has mutated again. But we all also need to be reminded that an understanding of possible conversion and liberation also of global proportions, lies at the heart of our faith. Emmanuel. We know catastrophes are real. Climate change and a pandemic are affecting everybody worldwide. But they aren't, are less about an inevitable prelude to the turn, return of the Messiah, and instead they are actually issues we can do something about. There may be much we cannot control, and you may feel that the world is starting to spin out of control. But we can control and order our responses to such events in a way that is hope-filled and points to the promise of restoration and liberation. Hope for the future is really important, especially for our children. Having hope is so important because the people without hope fall into despair. But hope must also be real and not bury its head in the sand. Hope needs to be a verb. It needs to be an action word. Hope needs to show itself in the actions we take every day. Hope isn't about ignoring difficulties but facing them and working with others to find a way through them. Hope is about the here and now, the end of November 2021, not about some way off future. Liberation is not about the second coming of Christ riding in on the clouds. Liberation, rather, is about the spirit of Christ present in renewal and global transformation, even in the midst of a pandemic. Hope is the planting of seeds in central Suva to feed those who need it then sharing those seeds with others and then starting a farm to feed even more. Travel forward nearly 2,000 years from Jerusalem in 58 AD to JUC November 28, 2021. We'll leave worship today and the world as around us will be going about its business and its pleasure. You may have friends and family who think you are strange for still going to church. I mean, my brother does, but he sends me the weirdest cartoons sometimes about God and Jesus. 
After all, isn't Christianity outdated, boring and irrelevant? And hasn't the church done some pretty dodgy stuff in its time and caused serious harm? And if Jesus is so special, why is the world in such a mess? And if there's so much bad stuff going on, how can you believe in a God? Why would God let this happen? Others may load you with their questions without even waiting for a thoughtful answer. So they're not necessarily interested in the fact that a movement started by Christians led to the banning of slavery. It was Christians who led the charge for education for all and built hospitals. And they're not interested in the lives of those transformed every day by the gospel. Many people are indifferent and some just simply ignore us, while others yet seek to burden us with life's care, both metaphorical and literal. Have you saved enough for your retirement? Well, actually, if you don't have enough to buy a bottle of wine every day, that's probably a good thing for your body. Why study an old book that's not relevant and has never done, so as far as they know, because they've never actually studied it, in their opinion, any good. The answer for us is the same as that for the church in Jerusalem. Do what you can, where you can, out of love. Remember what Jesus said. Be alert, keep watch. Patience is the key. Pray. This is not an exciting battle we're in. This is a steady tramp being part of a wider community. And we have the steady tramp of prayer, hope, scripture, sacrament and witness, day by day, week by week. Perhaps it's this faithful, prayerful, gentle, steadfast hope we can offer our weary world, our weary communities, because people are weary. That's what we can offer them in a time of a pandemic, of shifting sands, of altering alert levels and new systems and ways of meeting together. So this Advent, make hope a verb in your life. Do one thing that brings hope to someone else. And in doing that, you may find you give yourself hope. In this Advent season, seek the small daily signs of hope that make you smile and offer a prayer of thanks. Be alert, keep watch, and pray as we wait for the coming of Emmanuel.